0: welcome everyone. I'm so excited to continue these Chasing Noor podcast series where we talk about the light inside us, around us, and from the ancestors who came before us. My name is Ruby. I am an international trauma expert having worked with trauma all over the world. And there is a book that has been circulating and it has been popping up all over your stories that has provided a lot of moments where people feel seen and heard as if the author themselves are speaking to them through the book. And I'm so excited to have Sister A. Halwaher joining us. She's the author of Secrets of Divine Love. So thank you so much for joining me in this.
1: Assalamu alaikum. Thank you so much for having me been looking forward to this
0: yeah and i think something so beautiful i really want to start off with you know and i have notes upon notes and i think it's so beautiful that when i read this book the first time i read this book i read it for myself and then the second time that i read this book i read it as if i was somebody who needed to experience this love in a little bit of a deeper way so there was a part where you had shared that whatever you see inside of the quran in general like when we're reading anything from an islamic lens and moving forward to seeking sacred knowledge that whatever you see in this book points to your own state of consciousness every word of the Quran is a lantern that illuminates the darkness of our fears penetrating the causes of our subconscious shedding light on the parts of ourselves that we do everything in our power to hide and thinking of it as a mirror and a lot of people have said that your book ultimately has brought them closer soften their heart in so many different ways so how do you experience the responses so far
1: thank you for reading that i i think that that particular passage is partially based on something the prophet peace be upon him said when he said that the believers like the true believers are mirrors for one another and i think of um, i'm sure you have so much to say and and teach us about mirror work but i think the quran it, it confronts us with its archetypes and Mm -hmm. so a lot of times when even in the sense if someone comes to me and says oh i really love this well i think that the quran being it's like the ultimate rosetta stone um, of archetypes and then i think for each other Mm -hmm. when people come and see something and something that i may have written or something you have may have spoken Mm -hmm. it just points to something that's existing in them right that they're longing to see and experience for themselves within themselves but they have veils or beliefs or ideas about themselves that prevents them from enjoying that. But it becomes easy to see that in you Mm -hmm. because I don't have the same holdups, you know?
0: Exactly. And, And the shame and everything that kind of surrounds beyond that. And it's so beautiful because there's just so many parts of this that really stood out another piece that you described is it is though you're turning our awareness to the unconditionally loving god that our hearts find rest in our egos transformed ruling and destructive self and it's this idea of like i i posted something on my instagram that there are no idols there are no idols prophet muhammad peace be upon him is the last messenger and Allah is ultimately the one that we should be seeking and centering around and when i had posted that so many people were surprised at how they also had found that social media had become an idol to them. The opinions Mm -hmm. of their spouses have become an idol, culture, society, all these different, even religious leaders who may have uh, caused them harm that they hold on to, but he's a religious leader, but he knows better. I was young. I didn't know anything. He's acting upon, well-respected by the Ummah. so therefore I did something wrong. And Mm -hmm. when I read this book the first time, it was for me, the second time it was the person that was pushed out, who I had, I'm getting goosebumps now, just just you know repeating this, that I've had so many people who've messaged me and they're like, no one has ever told me Allah loves me. Like no one <laughs> has ever told me that people have said, fear him this idea behind if we don't act and respect our parents, if we don't support our partner, if we don't act according to the navigation of the halal haram, halal haram, you know, direction, mm-hmm. then Allah spend will punish us. And the reason why we're experiencing bad things is because of the fact that we're doing something wrong and Allah is withholding his love from us. And you had shared something. I'm going to quote a lot of your parts of it because it'll just come to me as it goes. You had shared something and it was, I'm not good enough. When you first started to write this book and you talked about what it is and also the mysteriousness about your identity and and everything like that too, that I want to ask you as to how that plays into this. But you had written something and it says, I feel like I hardly knew anything about Islam and the voice of I'm not good enough started to dance in my head like a billion butterflies flapping in unison to the soundtrack of my anxiety. I kept turning to God and saying, I'm not worthy of this task. Saying it over and over again until one day my heart heard God whisper back, I know you are not good enough. This is exactly why I have chosen you. Remove yourself even more from this. This is not something you will do, it is something I will do through you. Wow.
1: Yeah, so um, that is probably one of the intimate moments I wanted to share in the book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had to choose really what that was because I didn't want to, I didn't want me to be in this book. Mm-hmm. and understood that the muslim's journey the seeker's journey whatever the path you're walking on the person mm-hmm. walking that journey like we will have similarities between us mm-hmm. so i wanted to share part of my experience as a way to show like i'm very much walking beside you with this idea of you know talking about social media yeah. followers like i really don't feel like i have followers i I'm often you know refer to them as companions or friends mm-hmm. I feel like I've learned so much yeah. from every single person who's reached out and engaged. And so, and at, I was just trying to share that I am not standing on a, you know, pedestal or on a, behind a speaker's podium mm-hmm. in any way. I feel like part of that experience was when you're turning to God in in dua or supplication or seeking him out and you're saying, mm-hmm. I come to you with my neediness. It's the thing we avoid. We avoid going to God with poverty, brokenness, neediness, sinfulness. We have this idea, this illusion that says, when I'm good enough, then I can have a relationship with God. Yep. When I pray enough, then he will answer my prayers. Yeah. And it's always putting mm-hmm. um, the, the power on us mm-hmm. instead of in, in his hands. Mm-hmm. And this notion of cause and effect in which we live in this universe, we have this notion that every every action has a reaction which is true and in the realm of the divine Mm. he can react in whatever way he wants in whatever order he wants meaning god's not tied to linear time or now and after for him he may give you something today that you will quote unquote earn 20 years from now Mm -hmm. there is no concept of the the arrow of time he's not restricted by and so i think I just wanted to start the book reminding people like this book is a function of a needy human being who who didn't have ability. Yeah. And so as you're walking through it or reading through it, just keep remembering to return. And they always say like the door of neediness is the least crowded because nobody wants to feel needy. Yeah, like, There's not much of a line. You might as well just choose that path.
0: Yeah, I know it's so oh, it's interesting because I've googled you and i was tried to find out like right after the book came out, I was like, who's this person? Is she a scholar? Is she a student of sacred knowledge? Who is she? And of course, whenever we look at authors, we look to see how they look. And in the world that we are in, especially with Sheikh, Mariam Amir, really talking about women scholars and women in Islamic spaces, especially more so now, and the need for awareness and compassion and space behind that, and knowing that you are very anonymous behind a one and it makes it more it takes away that hierarchy in such a beautiful way and i think it's something we've all needed we've all needed a friend to share this and put this all together so i wanted to go into this part a little bit more the ancient proverb and for those of you out there page 141 inside of secrets of divine love it's as an ancient proverb says the child who was not embraced by the village will burn it down to feel it's warmth. this was I'm going to repeat it one more time for those out there that want to hear it one more. The child who was not embraced by the village will burn it down to feel its warmth. So this was something that sat with me, you know, as I had shared earlier, my father passed away when I was eight years old and I was there when he had passed away. And it, it, that moment will always be there. And it's a moment where there were no words, there were no sounds, but there was fast motions. And that's a moment that has secreted itself into my history and has had a huge impact as to why I devote myself to sadhaka because I want to duplicate all the sadhaka he would have been able to perform had he been alive. When I hear that, it makes me think of so many different parts. It makes me think of the inner child that people have not gotten a chance to heal as well as the child that has experienced one bad moment where they remember the first time they were told that that's haram or that shaitan is like you're acting like shaitan or did shaitan tell you to do that? There's so many phrases that come up in a cultural lens of fearing al So let's talk a little bit more about that, about the child who was told that something they did was haram or halal. Do you remember when you were younger and you experienced shame or something about something you were doing wrong or you've seen other people be ashamed by something
1: that's a really I feel like important topic and I just want to pause for just one moment and say that as you were talking about your dad Mm -hmm. I just felt this like insane level of gratitude like just pour in because I just felt like if you were my daughter I would be so proud of you like the love you spoke with and the sincerity you carry and like I don't know, like, if people are gonna see the video or of you, but it's like so apparent in your face and in your, in your joy and your heart. And, and I just like, I, I can't even imagine the joy that he feels. And inshallah, you meet again is uh, my deep prayer for you. And then, regards to you know that 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 child, I, I think that, you know, it's interesting because, I, I only started praying ten, eight, ten years ago, like consistently, and I hadn't prayed for. A very long time. Growing up, I I feel like my parents showed me this insane amount of love and, mm-hmm. and sincerity, and I was born Muslim. But there came a time when, you know, born and raised in California, mm-hmm. I felt like I didn't want to pray, like I felt so guilty mm-hmm. having conflicting desires. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. to the point where I remember setting up my prayer, like carpet or whatever, and yeah. and just sitting there and not praying. And like rustling all the uh, hijab and the things I would wear to pray. (laughs) (laughs) To make it seem like I did for like seven months.
0: Wow. For me, there was a point when it was in 2017. And my mom, she had um, a heart attack. My mom was always this invincible person, right? You Mm -hmm. know, like my my father, I I live my life in honor of him and everything like that. My mom was supposed to be this invincible person. And then when that happened, I just, everything Fell apart for me, like wanting to be like, I was doing so much, like with my trauma work everywhere, and I was spreading myself so thin. And I was like, What matters? And I was trying to take care of my mom, trying to have her move down to LA with me and everything. And she's like, I'm fine, like I'm fine. And I went into this survival mode that I went into taking care of her when my father had passed away, growing up really fast. And then I started thinking about what matters and what doesn't. And then I had this moment where I started finding myself as if I was angry. You know, like, what are you doing? Like, she's my mom. I can't do this. I've already struggled without my dad. You can't take my mom from me. So then as I continued forward, I knew that I just needed to surrender and so I sold everything in Los Angeles, booked a one-way ticket out to the refugee crisis, and then I traveled for you know for for a full year in this pilgrimage and this a feeling of wanting to get close to Ellis surrendering and being one hundred percent free. And something that Ellis through the mercy and compassion that he provided was he showed me so many refugee children that had hope that were so connected regardless of every layer that they had. Every single person was saying Alhamdulillah. There was uh, one child, she looked like she was two years old, but I had met her when she was four. Her body frame had not developed as well due to the trauma that she experienced. And she survived the bombing and she was there for about a week just crying, you know, as a young child amidst all the rubble for a whole week. And finally people found her, but she was dancing. She was dancing to like pashtun music and everything and had so much love about her. This idea of The child that not feeling embraced by the village and what does that look like and still connecting to the idea of Allah. So with the child who couldn't burn down the village, the child who actually internalized the flames and the smoke simmers into every part of their life, that child maybe is always aware of that moment that they were spiritually bypassed. They were aware of that moment where somebody said, I'm a religious leader, so this form of abuse is okay. These are young children who didn't even understand that something bad had happened to them. They just mm-hmm. knew it didn't feel good. And But he's a hafiz of the Quran. If that happened, and I'm struggling in my faith, but he was somebody who held a position that no, he's closer to Allah than I am. Maybe I'm closer to
1: Shaytan. Yeah, I think that um, the notion that this whole Me Too movement has been, it's really heartbreaking in many ways. Um, yeah. But it's also, I mean, I'm happy that it's coming out because I think like you could speak to this and I'm curious, you know, your thoughts about that, but it's like when you could start to acknowledge and you start to like, it comes out, it gives you a chance to walk through it because shame kind of lives in the hidden corners, right? And amplifies in
0: Mm -hmm. the
1: unseen. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: So for that movement, and I'm like very supportive of the voices of the oppressed and like giving that. A platform to speak and mm-hmm. and I so I think it's really really important and I've said this to some you know people who've messaged me in the past but yeah. I, I want to make sure that people understand like you are loved by God regardless of what happened to you what people did to you what people said to you what you did what you said like yeah. God's love for you is not tied to you or the atrocities of this world if a hurricane comes if an earthquake comes if your village is bombed like you cannot see that as a punishment of god because you do not know and so when people preach that message they're preaching a message of fear into your heart and if that fear turns you away from a faith from a relationship with god the faces of god that they're going to meet is going to be really really heavy for them yeah. because especially as children the prophet, peace be upon him, and you see spiritual mystics throughout history, throughout Mm -hmm. different traditions, always speak about honoring the child because they're like this pure tablet. Mm -hmm. They haven't lived enough life to accumulate sin, you know, and then honoring the elderly because Mm -hmm. they've lived a long life and had time to repent, you know? And so this notion that like holding a child up and, and honoring it is really highly regarded um in islam and i think that no matter what your position is no matter what your station so-and-so is in a community if you do wrong it's wrong not to say that the prophet did wrong but we see an example in the quran where you know there, there's an example of a blind man and he kind of coming to the prophet and he's kind of constantly asking him questions and he can't see right that the prophet's trying to preach to a there's like lots of um rich merchants and politician type figures and he finally got audience with them and this blind man's kind of like tugging at him in a way and the prophet peace be upon him just like furrows his brow literally he does a gesture that a blind man couldn't even see and yet the quran takes a moment to say don't do that even (laughs) so there's this notion of to the smallest degree do not even hurt a heart no matter their position, if our prophet is guided in that way, if we see an imam or a scholar
0: yeah.
1: act in a way yeah. greater than furrowing a brow mm-hmm. to hurt, heart, like imagine yeah. the intensity of what they'll be met with. And that to me is very scary. Those positions are very scary because you're held accountable. Mm-hmm. How you speak, if it deters someone, you're held accountable for that, you know? So it's a really big offense, I think.
0: Wow. You had shared something else that Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, had shared. And it's like, none of you has faith until he loves for his brother what he loves for himself. There was a point when I was abroad, and I was seeing so much pain, and I was trying to understand the mercy of Allah's in these places, and I was, you know, in Iraq and Syria. I wasn't in the the trendy places for refugee photos, so to speak, that everybody exoticizes, and I was down living in refugee houses, in abandoned buildings, providing support anywhere I could for the sake of Allah, and there was a part Mm -hmm. that was written in here, and for folks out there, it's page 69 in this beautiful book. It goes on to narrate. A traveler was wandering through a town, searching for hope, when he came across a crippled beggar, then an old woman getting beaten, and then the funeral of a baby. He fell into a spell of pain, distraught from the despair, famine, and destruction that he witnessed. He ran out of the town into the vast silence of the desert at night and screamed to God, oh, why God, why is there so much pain? Why is there so much oppression, so much injustice? Why don't you do something? The man was crying as he was punching the desert floor with his fist, crying over and over again. Why don't you do something, Lord? Why is there so much war and cancer and hatred? Why must so many people starve themselves to sleep Why must children be homeless? Oh God, why don't you do something? Why don't you quench the flames of our sadness? Why don't you bring joy where hope is lost? Why don't you do something? Why don't you just do something? The poor man dug his knuckles into the hot sand and screamed until he fell into an ecstatic state and heard the divine reply. I did do something. I created you. Wow. That was beyond, beyond beautiful. What were your thoughts about putting that inside of the book?
1: I uh I find that we all will hit a wall one day in life where mm-hmm. what's in front of us doesn't make sense to our mind. Yeah. And our in, our inclination is to ask why. Mhm. And I found that the answer for why for me mm-hmm. has been literally like if I ask why about something I'm going through, yeah, I just imagine God saying because I love you. Mm-hmm. And when I feel that, when I feel this is happening, this horrific thing to my mind, yeah. because he loves me, because he's trying to show me a face of himself mm-hmm. for me to get to love him and to mm-hmm. dissolve in worship of him. Yeah. I think a lot of times when we face things in life, mm-hmm. we forget that this life isn't about ease. It's a world of duality. And mm-hmm. through its contrast, existence manifests before us. Mm-hmm. And so inhale and exhale, in mm-hmm. the waves coming in and out, that's what mm-hmm. creates the movement of life. Yeah. And so a lot of times when it comes to faith, people mm-hmm. have this notion, which i you don't have stationary faith. Mm-hmm. There's movement in it, and it's okay. natural freedom of ups and downs. Yeah. And it's like in the downs experience his faces of patience you have an opportunity to experience gratitude mm. and share your blessings you know with others
0: yeah that's so beautiful and it brings a part where you had shared the fetus heartbeat beats before the brains and all these ideas of what ultimately does suburb mean what and there was a part here as well and it was god will ask to what extent we manifested and actualize the gifts he gave us He will ask if we use our intellect for the benefit of society or its detriment, if we used our hands to bring peace or instigate war. He will ask if we wasted our blessings in focusing on materialism or if we used what we were divinely given as a means of supporting those who are less fortunate. And it's this feeling of he created us to support and to be that for so many people around and turning your pain into something that can provide support. And that's how I found meaning behind my papa's death is that I've had to be this voice and I've talked about, I've talked about hard stuff since I was so young. I started this work 16. Following people around, bartering like cups of coffee to just learn from them, just making like confetti cupcakes from those boxes and everything, mm-hmm. just giving it to them in different meetings and saying like, "I want to learn from you. Like, what does it mean with loss and substance abuse? What does it mean with loss and eating disorders?" Like, I wanted to understand loss and connection and safety in every single direction. But back then, there weren't a lot of Muslims in this work, and so there weren't a lot of people that looked like me that were doing the work. There's this idea of a social worker, this idea of an international trauma expert It's actually a little bit of a funny but frustrating experience that when people meet me and then they know all the stuff I've done they're like but it just doesn't fit but like you look at you you have energy you come off very feminine presenting but you've seen so much and you've experienced so much and this there's this idea that if somebody has experienced trauma, they have to look like a proper mess. They have to be letting themselves go in different directions or whatever this idea. And if we were to normalize and take away all of that, that we've all experienced something hard in a different way and that it's not about stopping in the moment, but it's continuing to thrive. And it's something mm. that like I find it frustrating in space when I show up. And a lot of times they also think I'm, you know, a brother because of my name and everything, which is <laughs> another story. But it's so beautiful to, through my actions and my emotions, to provide a little bit of ease to people who feel so ashamed to say it because they're like, but people can't see the trauma on me. And maybe I don't want people to see it and I don't want to be an advocate. I just want to heal it on my own direction. And I think a lot of people assume in terms of the child who couldn't burn down the village, you know, the child who was assaulted, maybe she was a young sister, 16, and perpetrators go after outliers. There is a sister and she just started wearing the hijab and there was a guy who was very social, everybody was just infatuated with him, who gave her a lot of attention. And she was like, wait, like, does that mean he likes me? Like, he says I'm simpler than the other girls and everything. <laughs> And so he hurt her in a way that was was a true violation. And it really impacted her. And she was like, but wait, did I do something wrong? Can I not get married? Mm -hmm. Was Shaytan the one who told me that I should trust it? Like, why did I listen to the the whispers of Shaytan? And she was like, am I just a messenger of Shaytan? She just went in such a different Mm -hmm. direction. She started, you know, not taking care of herself, even like performing wudu. It was just she couldn't feel it like she couldn't The intentions behind the wudu, the cleaning, the arms, all of that, she felt like it was an out of body experience where she's like, What am I doing? She'd sit for prayer, she'd do the motions, and she's like, I don't understand. Like, it's Ramadan, people are feeling like I have a recharge. She didn't feel that. And I know sisters like this that that moment changes everything, and then that moment turns into perhaps substance misuse self harm eating too much eating too little sleeping too much sleeping too little just not 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 doing things that make them happy pulling away from people and being self destructive because of a moment that if they were to share it they internalize it so deep so for the sister out there that resonates with this because i know there's a sister out there that resonates with this story what would you say to her
1: i would just first say like that um that I'm praying for her and I know that that sounds like we have this cliche notion around prayer Mm -hmm. Um, it usually comes in the form of being passive like oh there's a horrible thing happening in Kashmir or the I mean pray for her in the sense of connect my heart to hers Mm -hmm. to create space in my heart for her Mm
0: -hmm.
1: experience for her life for the life she's lived and I think that always starting with prayer has always It's just been so wonderful because the Ummah's real purpose is to create unity. Mm -hmm. So I think prayer in the form of du'a helps us do that. Secondly, I would say that what has happened to you Mm -hmm. does not define you. Mm -hmm. And the voices, I actually have like way more to say to the people who are preaching around people who go through suffering because Mm -hmm. the voices of the shaitan, the voices Mm -hmm. of you are bad, all these voices, Mm -hmm. okay, are often should be directed at the person who did the assault. And yet it seems to be piled on often on women. Mm -hmm. What did you wearing? Mm -hmm. What did you look like? Mm -hmm. How did you speak? Why did you speak to him? It's all put on her shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. What I would say to that is that's not fair. Mm -hmm. And your role in this is between you and God or God. And every single thing Allah says in the Quran all sins Mm
0: -hmm. are forgiven
1: yeah not just like you I'm not telling her she did a sin I'm just saying if God is saying that all sins are forgiven meaning Mm -hmm. all offenses in the heart that you feel can be removed in his presence going to him he's not looking at you in a shameful way Mm -hmm. we have this notion that God is waiting God Zeus on a cloud with a thunderbolt (laughs) And he's waiting to like throw it down at you. And that's just not what it is. Mm -hmm. It's uh, the Quran. It says my mercy encompasses all things, Mm -hmm. which is like really incredible. All things, everything, all of it, including hell. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's what all means, you know? So, and like, I think sometimes like when these things happen to the heart, to the spirit, and it breaks us, you know, there, there's a, we don't have time for this, right, to go over this now, but there's a <laughs> breakdown of what hell is, right, in the yeah. Quran. And yeah. then it's manifested into the created world. Yes. And hell is as far as the human beings experience. Mm-hmm. And the fifth, like fifth or sixth level of hell experience yeah. is actually sexual assault. Like mm-hmm. that, that is a manifestation of like feeling like you're in this horrible place that someone you know, put on you. And mm-hmm. in the t- like commentary around that, yeah. it talked about how, how horrifying it is. Mm-hmm. If a human being puts another human being yeah. into a state like that, that it's defined as a type of hell on earth yeah. and like how horrible that is. And so yeah. what I'm trying to say with all that is mm-hmm. like the Quran in its very deep mystical ways, like mm-hmm. understands that pain. It articulates that pain in a very, it's a deep deep teaching and what I'm saying around that is that what you're feeling mm-hmm. subjected affected by another person mm-hmm. is not your responsibility and if anything God is on your side yeah. protecting you from worsening that feeling and also is going to hold that person accountable to a degree we cannot even imagine yeah you know in the Quran it says to the the hair on a date like, that's like such a small amount, you know? And I would call her, whoever out there is struggling with praying after feeling something horrible happen to them, Yeah. that like being present with what's going on for you and ask for help. Seek yeah. out the trauma expert, yeah. you know, seek out the therapist, the counselor, because mm-hmm. sometimes they're shamed out of that. Oh, if you were strong enough. Oh, if your faith. No. The prophet, peace be upon him, established communities where they would decide together. He would give responsibilities to people who knew better. He would pay people for their services. In our community, we need to go. We need to reach out. Sometimes, I'll be honest with you, in writing this book, and I want everybody to hear this who hears this audio, I sought out a therapist who works with Islamic spirituality because of my holdups. In the process of writing it, sometimes I would feel I would struggle again, and I couldn't get rid of the voice of like, how am I going to do this? And I would go, and I would get help sessions upon sessions of help. Then I still do that. If I go through something, I still seek out help because my goal is to get to Allah and be with him quicker. And if somebody has gone through it, if someone's an expert in dealing with that, Mm -hmm. I want to walk alongside them. I want a companion.
0: For folks out there that are looking to go onto the healing journey. Once again, it's a journey and everything like that. It's not an end result. It's a journey. The Khalil Center is a great organization. There's so many other different ones. Um, Therapy for Muslims has wonderful therapists that you can find somebody near you. It's a full database all across the country that can provide that support. As we're kind of 10 minutes left of this, and I have a hundred different directions that I could go in, and I wanted to speak a little bit more of the voices of Shaitan. And it was, this. I'm going to read this part. The voices of the devil might sound like You are not good enough, you will always fall short, you will never overcome this addiction, and you are too sinful for God. This is not that big of a deal, just one more time, then you can give this up. God doesn't really care. God will not accept someone as bad as you anyway, so you might as well do what feels good. You may even notice how the devil thrives on hopelessness and despair. The devil will use your shortcomings to instill fear and shame within you, trying to make you feel you are not worthy of having a relationship with God. Once you are conscious of the voice of the devil, don't fight this voice or be drawn to it. Rather, turn it over to God in form of prayer. For example, if the devil tempts you with lust, ask Allah for help in turning your desires toward him. If the devil tries to get you to stop praying, ask Allah for help in being more attentive in prayer. If the devil attempts to shame you through shortcomings in your faith, ask Allah to help purify your intentions. When you become aware that the devil attacks the places in your heart, that are the weakest his whispers of temptation actually become doorways into how to strengthen your faith and become closer to god when you turn away from allah's light like the earth when it becomes away from the sun we fall into a state of spiritual darkness not because allah punished us because of out of our free will we chose to turn our awareness from the light of truth and i mean i have goosebumps the entire time that i'm in this interview because divinely spoken in such a beautiful way and i think just as the Quran, we read it so many different times and we experience so many different things. Reading this book twice brought up so much more of that. I just am so, so, so humbled that Allah's provided me the means to be able to even read this book. People pushing people out of faith, people telling people that you drank so you can't return to Allah's fundamental. And I think that's what keeps people from wanting to go closer to Allah's because they're so worried. Other people are still judging their journey, are still, well, are they wearing hijab now? What would
1: you say to them that's a wonderful question. Um, I would say that, first of all, the journey with God is between you and God. It's not about you, your community of God. It's not you and your parents with God. It's with you and God. Mm-hmm. And for those who have children, it's important that you raise them, that you don't make them make want to make you happy in their relationship with God, that yes. in the beginning, of course, you, like, inspire them, but that you don't put yourself as an idol between God and them, Yeah. and so I think that as a community, we need to do a better job. This is part of the reason why judgment yeah. and gossip and suspicion, things like this, are frowned upon in the faith because mm-hmm. it forces people to take their desire for validation and put it on human beings, mm-hmm. and when you do that, it's really really the reason I think that gossip and judgment is so scary for me in in partaking in it mm-hmm. is because if I somehow something I say yeah. places me as an idol before God and that person because they okay. want to make me happy yeah and be validated through me that's a big burden to carry on my behalf mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. safer to not say and just to encourage people so for the one who's seeking God the one who you know like Maybe you're, you haven't put in all the you know ducks in a row. You haven't felt like everything is in order. But here's the thing. I don't have my ducks in a row. <laughs> Every day, I'm like stumbling over myself. <laughs> I always think about that because I think it's so amazing because it's like when I fall, I'm not trying to fall. But when I do, I'm like, wow, like, thank you, God, like for giving me even the thought of turning back to you. Because that's the thing. We turn away all the time your favorite sheikh, no matter how long his beard is and no matter how well it sweeps the floor he he falls because we're all sinful right and the girl who wears her hijab perfectly the way the community loves Mm. she probably struggles with something too maybe it's her prayer. maybe she can't like it's hard for her to fast maybe it's hard for her to not gossip that's the thing just because we own one battle doesn't mean we own them all Mm. and i think For women specifically, people have this idea, they put the hijabi on this unbelievable pedestal. Like, she can't, you are the flag of the faith. Like, they put all this burden on her. She just wants to have a relationship with Allah like everybody else. And the person who doesn't wear hijab, they put them on the low. And it's like, that person just wants to have a relationship with Allah too. Like, we each have our own journey. And we need to, as a community, honor that. Yeah. honor that every single person has their journey mm-hmm. and then to ask ourselves one question only which mm-hmm. is how can i support them how can i enjoin what is good meaning celebrate yeah. this is the thing there's this verse that says enjoin what is good and forbid what is wrong what we do as a community is we hopscotch the first one and we go straight to advice instead of saying like oh my god you're 18 and you're here for jama prayer like that's amazing you could be in a hundred million different places. Like, mashallah. Yeah. We don't do that. We're like, you know, your hand position is in the wrong position. Your strand of hair came out while you're praying. Your wudu is not good. We go straight with the advice. And it's like, when did you celebrate this person is here seeking God, like, in this crazy world? Like, that's amazing. And so I think sometimes, you know, people like, shame the Ramadan Muslim. And it's like, that's amazing. This person is spending an entire month with God. Some people don't even do that. Some people don't spend one day with God. and. If that person has a moment of opening, why would you shut it down? Yeah. It would go to a Hadith of the prophet, peace be upon him. There's an example where he's, you know, he's one of his companions and, and a woman walks by and, and it, apparently she's not dressed in a way that, you know, is was whatever. And the camera's the com- like, Oh my God. And the prophet's response to that is you look down and mind your own business. <laughs> like it's not, let's go run to her and like throw a cheat on her head. You know, yeah. it's, you mind your own business. Like you don't know who this person is. Do you have a relationship with this person? Mm -hmm. Do you have any engagement with this person? It comes from a place of safety. Not from a place of um, anonymity. Like you Mm -hmm. can't just go to a random person, you know? And so, and that's why therapists, they build rapport with their clients before they confront them. And yet in the outside world, we don't do that. And so for the person who wants to go and have a relationship with God, you're welcome. The door is not even locked for you to knock on. You're welcome because God doesn't have conditions for his love. Mm -hmm. In the Quran, it says he is independent of all that he creates. So you're welcome. The door is always open. Like the earth, turn back to the light and it becomes day. Turn away from the sun and it becomes night. The sun stays shining. You just got to turn back. That's it.
0: Yeah, I think that's so beautiful. And I, even the statement of forgiveness, it's just a few lines, just a few motions. So I'm beyond gracious. This was, I could talk to you for so much time and everything. And I'm really humbled that you are able to enter into the Zoom space and amidst all of your anonymity. And I'm really thankful for your anonymity because I feel like if people knew What background you were from, what idea of a Muslim you look like, and everything like that—it would shift the energy and the reception of the information. I think it's so beautiful how you've created this and how you've led this book that has beyond a lot of sticky notes inside of it, and beyond that, will continue.
1: Thank you so much um, for this opportunity. It was wonderful to learn from you, and I'm I'm hoping to learn more from you and the work that you do, um, inshallah. So, thank you so much for this opportunity. I feel. Sincerely blessed so. Thank you so much. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Ya Allah, thank you so much for the space that you have given us to connect our heart. Allah, I start to pray that you bless Raphi and you give her this opportunity to continue serving you and that you pave the paths of opportunity for her to be a role model and a representative of your love, compassion, mercy, and healing. And for the ones out there who are struggling, I pray. I wish that you were more kind to yourself. I wish you gave yourself more credit for all the progress you've made. You are not defined by your worst mistakes. You are far more than all you have done, said, or seen. You are more than these mortal things. Do not forget that you carry a beautiful, eternal spirit inside. Do not forget about the sweetness of your heart. Be kind to yourself. You were made perfectly imperfect to know Allah's mercy. Allah sees your pain. He knows what you are feeling. And he loves you infinitely more than anyone can in a billion lifetimes. You don't need to come perfect to Allah. You just have to come trying. As the Quran says, Those who strive, we will surely guide them. So keep striving and know that Allah knows exactly what you're going through. As Allah says, fear not, I am with you both hearing and seeing his vision pierces past your masks, past your fake smiles, past all the walls you hide behind. Allah loves you right now as you are in this very moment. You do not need to earn his love through prayer, You learn to receive it through prayer. Turn to Allah and ask for His help. And remember, you don't need to have everything together before you approach Him, He is waiting for you. Allah, we ask you that you help us to see that you are always there, that your love is always present. Allah, help us to stand as representatives of your love for all people to go into spaces of darkness and to bring your light of love. Allah, help us to create platforms and give voices to the oppressed. Help us to give of the blessings you give to us, to others. And help us to follow in the way of your prophet. Peace be upon him. In your beautiful, merciful, and majestic names we pray.